Thanks for choosing to listen to another City Point West podcast. I trust that this message empowers and encourages you to continue your journey of faith. Enjoy. Chapter 2. And uh, I want to keep going through and open that up a little bit today. And we've been looking at lessons on success from a guy that's a failure. We're talking about uh, this man, Peter, who wrote this book. Um, I was thinking during the week, uh, when, when my son Josh was in primary school. Where's Josh? At the back somewhere. Is he in the room? He got raptured and we all missed it. Uh, when Josh was in primary school, uh, when he was in primary school, uh, I got a, an email from the teacher asking if the teacher could come meet with me and Josh. And, and well, it was actually meet with Wendy and I and Josh, but Wendy's like, I'm sick of meeting with teachers. This one's your one. And so I went to have the, the teacher conversation and we sat down with this teacher and uh, it was one of those teacher conversations and if the parents in the room are anything like me, that we don't actually like to have. Uh, I'm... I'm uh, not always, if you're a teacher in the room, I love you. Just let me start by saying that. But I'm not always a great fan of teachers. Uh, and I definitely wasn't a fan of teachers when I was at school. And so we go and have this teacher meeting. And Josh and I are sitting down with the teacher. And, and the teacher's like, Josh, you've got to do more homework. Josh, you've got to you know, study a bit harder. Josh, you've got to work a bit harder. Now, this is the truth of this story. At the time, Josh had just started spearfishing with me. And... and we may have skipped a few days at school. And when I say a few, I mean a lot. So we may have missed, the, uh, skipped a few days of school being spearfishing together. Now listen, Joshy was doing really well. At this stage, he'd shot like probably a dozen Australian junior records. And his wall had like plaques all over the wall from the junior records that he'd been spearing. And he'd been taking them to school and showing his friends and obviously showing his teacher. And his teacher wasn't really impressed with the fact that Josh is staying home spearfishing with me instead of going to school. I felt like that was a better education. That's just my opinion. The only reason it wasn't a better education because I was paying more for him to be at school. Um, so I probably should have had him there. But we'd been doing this and the teacher sits down and goes, Josh, you need to put in more effort. You need to get to school more. Uh, you need to put more effort into school. You need to do more homework. And I was like, listen, I pay a lot of money for him to be at school. Why do I have to teach him at home? Can't you do that over these like eight hours he's at school? You're making him miserable all day. Can't you teach him something? And he comes home and be happy. Like, can't we do that? And the teacher obviously didn't like me saying that as well. This interview wasn't going really well. Here he is. So, so the interview wasn't going well. The teacher, the discussion, but it got worse. The teacher turned to Josh and said, hey, Josh, if all you ever want to be in life is a fisherman, then just keep doing what you're doing. Oh, listen, you know, you can poke me certain ways and you can really annoy me. And I reckon that is probably up there on my list of things to say to my son that is really going to make me fire up. Here's the challenge. This is at City Point Christian College, of which I am a pastor at City Point Church and everything I say will go back to the headmaster and everybody else. So I've got to keep everything that's going on in my head right now to myself. I'm thinking, number one, I'd rather be a fisherman than a miserable teacher like you that makes my son unhappy all day and this is why he wants to come fishing with me. That's what I wanted to say, number one. Number two, I'm, no, I won't even keep on going with all the things that were going on in my head. 
I was just getting a bit frustrated and a bit annoyed and I'm trying to bite my tongue and trying not to come back and say some stuff to him. And let me just add, I am grateful that I have a wonderful son. Uh, very grateful for that. Uh, I was sitting in that room trying not to be offended, trying not to punch him, trying not to say everything that was going through my mind, trying not to be rude back to this guy. Uh, and try and encourage my son to do great and finish his schooling and do well. Listen, Josh finished school, uh, straight out of school. He bought a business, of which he's since sold. Uh, he, whilst he was working his own business, he did a one-year internship over at City Point Carindale, uh in Bible College there. Uh, he's now working full-time. He's studying as well, uh, a Bachelor of Counselling. And, and he works a day a week here and volunteers at church a day a week. Listen. My son's a good son, and he's done really well through coming out of school. And I was thinking this week, as I was meditating on this, I was thinking on the statement about, do you just want to be a fisherman? And the guy that wrote the book that we've been studying was just a fisherman. Listen, the Apostle Paul, this guy was a Pharisee. He'd done Bible college to the nth degree. He'd studied the Word of God to the nth degree but Peter hadn't Peter studied where to put a net down how to catch a fish how to build a business catching a fish and how to do that and a guy by the name of Jesus was walking along and said hey Peter just leave your nets and follow after me and the Bible says that Peter left his nets and for three years he walked with this guy called Jesus then Jesus died was resurrected went to heaven and Peter become one of the key leaders in the church that has changed the whole world as we know it. started thinking about that statement made about my son, if you just want to be a fisherman. I'm grateful that, listen, a fisherman grabbed the hold of the call of God on his life. His name was Peter. And he built a church, established a church. And then 15 years after Jesus left, he wrote a book to us in First and Second Peter that is so profound and so powerful. I, I think about the truths that just a fisherman wrote. Just a fisherman who walked with Jesus. Just a fisherman whose life was transformed. Just a fisherman that was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And after the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, stood up and preached and thousands were added to the church at just this fisherman's words. Listen, you may be in the room and you've had some school teachers say to you, you might be just something else. Let me tell you, when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, you can change the world. I'm grateful that my son's not just a fisherman. I'm grateful that he's more than all that. I'm grateful that he pulled his socks up and went to school and studied hard and is still studying hard and doing great things with his life. But I'm encouraged by the reality that just a fisherman could write words that we are reading through 2,000 years later. And I trust today his words are going to transform your heart, your mind and your life because of the great revelations that come through the word. Listen, we've gone through and we're up to First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 7, uh, verse 4 to 17. We're going to walk through them today, but let me read for you verse 4 to 8. And you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into the spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, through Jesus Christ. 
For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, this stone is the stone the builders rejected and become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Here is Peter. And if you don't know the Gospels and you don't know the life of Peter, I I want to tell you he was a disciple that followed after Christ. As I said, he was just a fisherman. He wasn't a trained man in the Word of God. He wasn't a trained man to understand what was the Torah back then. He is a guy that just came now and followed after Christ. And the Bible tells us that this guy, Peter, was walking with Jesus. And Jesus says, who do they say that I am? He's asking all the disciples, who, who do they say I am? And Peter comes up with this revelation and says, you're the Messiah. You, you are the Messiah. You're the promised one that has been promised to us for a long period of time. Jesus' response was like, wow, Peter, that doesn't come from you. The response is, Peter, that comes from God. And now, Peter, you are going to be the rock. His name was Simon prior to that, but he changed his name to Peter because that name Peter means the rock. Now, listen, I'm not talking about Dwayne Johnson rock right now. I'm talking about the rock, he says, on which I will build and establish my church. A man that was, that was once somebody that was a fisherman now becomes the foundation point of leadership within the life of the church that will transform the entire world. Now, Peter, with that revelation of being the rock in his own life, that stone comes and speaks to a whole bunch of, of Christians that are spread across the globe. And he says to these guys, listen, that wasn't just for me. That prophetic word over my life to become the stone was actually a prophetic word for you all. Listen, he writes this. There is the living stone of which you are also called to be living stones. Listen, 2,000 years on, that's passed to me and you. That prophetic word goes to our lives. You're called to be living stones. What is it about a stone that is different from anything else? The stone is a really strong thing we were uh down at at the waterside just recently and we took our dog uh our dog is a bit odd it's got some problems um i don't know what it is like you can throw a stick for our dog into the water it won't go and get it but if you pick up a rock and you throw it into the water that dog will go and dive into that water and this is true pastor if you saw it happen and had his head under the water like ah trying to find that stone digging in the water. It's maybe got a bit like its master here. It likes diving under the ocean. And it will dive into that water and grab that stone and bring it out and it'll put it on the beach beside you again. So you pick it up, you throw it back in the water. So it goes back in and gets down and gets that rock. It did this for like an hour. Everyone that was watching is like this stupid dog. Uh, Wendy came over and, and she went to like throw the rock. Here's the problem. The dog's like trying to catch the rock on the full. I don't know if you ever tried to catch a rock in your mouth on the full. It's not a good idea. So, so Wendy like went to fake the dog out so she could throw it in the water and faked it out and then threw it that way. But the dog was wise to what she said and jumped up and like smacked the rock in the face. Listen, what is it about a rock? It is hard. It is immovable. It's unshakable. Listen, the church of Jesus Christ today needs to be hard, 
immovable and unshakable because we live in a generation that is trying to shake everything about who we are as a church. It's trying to shake our belief systems. It's trying to shake our morality. It's trying to shake our value systems. It's trying to shake everything about who we are. But God has called us, just like He spoke over Peter, to be the rock to be unshakable, to be unmovable, and the truth of the Word of God that is there in our lives. And he says, listen, you've come to the living stone, which is Jesus, rejected by humans. We see that the Pharisees rejected Him. People have rejected over these thousands of years. But to God, He is precious. And you also, you and I have become living stones. Peter understood this. Living stones, he says, to build up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. We'll come back to that in a few moments in verse 9. He says, For the Scripture I say, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and a precious cornerstone. That, that precious cornerstone is a, is a reflection on architecture. When this uneducated guy, this uneducated fisherman writes, he writes, a very deep and profound educated thing. He says this, we now have a cornerstone. Listen, the cornerstone is a number of things. First and foremost, the cornerstone is something that positions the rest of the building. Now today, we don't have cornerstones. We, we build uh, yeah, survey points that are the same thing. I, I recently was at a job site, I seen the surveyor, he's got his little thing up, beep, 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 and he puts a stake in the ground, beep, 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 puts a stake in the ground. This is the cornerstone. The cornerstone was the position of the building. Listen, this is important for you to understand, and, and, I, and I touch on this for a reason. The cornerstone for my life and for your life is positioned in Jesus Christ. Listen, the world doesn't like that. The world's trying to take us and it's just like, Steve, I don't want you there. I want you over here. Now, you're going to move here. And Lydia, don't, no, no, I don't want that belief system. This is your belief system. You've got to believe what I believe. Lydia, from now on, you're going to stand. But this is, this is the power of this. Sorry, Pastor Lydia, you can take your seat back over here. And Pastor Steve. This is the power of this. The world's trying to rip us everywhere else. But in Christ, our position is established in Jesus. Our position's not established in what the world wants me to believe, wants me to say, wants me to outwork, wants me to act. It's positioned in Jesus. He is the cornerstone, the positioning of my life. Listen, it is also this architectural addition. We're positioned, but we're also aligned. It's now every other rock gets aligned off that cornerstone. It starts, it positions us, and then it aligns us. You know, sometimes it's difficult if you listen to everything in the world today to find your alignment. If you spend moments in the news, to find your alignment with your finance is very difficult if you listen to the news because you'll start freaking out about the economic uh, system of the world and how it's going today and how it's going to mean for me and, and the fact that we're going to be in recession and what's the recession going to mean and what's it going to be in my life. And, and, but if you're aligned in Christ... You now become aligned in His promises and you have a realisation that there is blessing aligned to my life no matter what goes on in the world around me. And here Peter writes, he writes, the cornerstone that is there to position me is also the cornerstone there to align my life. Listen, if you're trying to be a believer in the room and you're not aligning your life with Christ, if He's not your chief cornerstone, your Christianity will always be difficult. And he teaches us this. 
He teaches us of the reality of the fact that first it positions us, secondly aligns us. Listen, thirdly, every other stone in our life is built upon that chief cornerstone. Listen, we all build belief systems. We do that. But we build them from this point of Jesus Christ. From this point of his redemptive work in my life. From this point of his transformational power in me. We build it from this point. We build it from the point of this Jesus who rose from the dead and conquered every mess and every brokenness of our world. Now we build from this point of faith. You know, it's sad to see Christians building from not a point of faith, but a point of failure, from a point of disappointment. And we've got to understand what Peter was trying to show us when he showed us that Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. He was showing us first and foremost that He positions us, that He directs us, and we build everything and every belief system in our life from a point of faith that's connected with Christ and connected with who Christ is, not who we are, not our own failings, not the challenges of our past, not the difficulties we see ahead of us, but the point of faith that comes from Jesus Christ. This uneducated failure of a man teaches us the key point of success right here. Build from this cornerstone. Build from this cornerstone. That we build on Christ. Christ must be the center of who we are. Verse 9. But you are his chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are his chosen people. Listen, I look across this room and... Not many of us were born with Jewish ancestry. Uh, Andrew Jones, I believe that is something that you have. But for the rest of us, we're filthy heathens in the room. Jones is the only perfect one over here. Isn't that, isn't that right, Chant? Yeah, yeah. Good answer. Listen, the rest of us, we're born Gentiles. And we're not a chosen people. He's writing to people that are living in Turkey, that are fleeing persecution that are struggling and, and, and Gentiles have joined the church that he's writing to. And he's not writing to them as Jewish people. He's writing to them as a people that are called out by Christ, a chosen people in Jesus. He's not writing to a, a, a specific nationality. He's not writing to a people group. He's not writing to a cultural group. He's writing to a group of people that are called the church, that are now the chosen people. Look, I look across this room and I say, you are His chosen people here in this room. Listen, it's not about our, our bloodline. It's not about where we've come from. It's about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in us. It's not about my past. It's not about my failures. It's about the fact I've been called out in Christ, a chosen people. He writes now and says, but you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You know, this is a really strange statement to make. A royal priesthood. Look at this. A royal priesthood, both of those two things are about bloodline. I have a blood son in Joshua right here. This is my, my bloodline. 
if, if I'm a priest in the Old Testament, in the old days, he could be a priest through bloodline. If, if I am of royal blood, he becomes of royal blood like me. Now, Jesus, uh, sorry, now Peter here is writing and he's saying, through Jesus, something has changed. There's not no, no longer this, this natural bloodline at play. It's not about the fact that you are of royal blood or you are priests of blood. It's not about that because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, you are a set apart nation and you are now all a royal priesthood. He said, the blood of Jesus Christ has now knit you into a new line, a new line that's powerful. It's a chosen people. It's a royal priesthood. Listen, I'm speaking to a church of people that maybe some of you were born to be kings. Maybe some of you were born to be priests. That, that wasn't me. I was born a filthy, heathen, Aussie that is now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, of royal priesthood. And that blood flows through my veins is the blood of Jesus that has made and set me apart and positioned me in a whole new way of living. Listen, here's the challenge. Sometimes as Christians, we don't see ourselves as royal priesthood. We see ourselves as messed up, broken sinners that are scraping our way into heaven. Listen, I'm talking to you in the room as Peter wrote to these people and said, don't be just thinking you're scraping yourself into heaven. Don't be just thinking you're here to just make it your way through life barely by the skin of your teeth. I'm finally just getting to heaven. If you're here in this room and you feel like Christianity is about barely making it to heaven, if you feel like Christianity is barely getting through this and the devil's got me and the world's got me and it's so tough and so difficult, listen to Peter's words right here. You are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood. What does royalty have? A position that they carry themselves in. Well, if you watch the royals right now, not all of them do that, but let's not get into that conversation today. Most of them, the queen, when she'd drive down the road, she had a royal wave. She carried herself as a royal. Listen, as Christians in the room, a royal priesthood, we're going to carry ourselves in that position. I'm not saying you walk out of the room today with a beautiful wave as you drive past the church this afternoon. I'm saying, listen, it's about what happens in here and how you position yourself. If you feel like your Christianity is scraped through Christianity, I want to tell you right now, you're a royal priesthood. It's time to position yourself as kings and queens of the Most High God, positioned of heart, positioned of thinking, positioned of understanding. Royal priests, there's priests in this room to position yourself in that position of place where you come before the Father, not out of fear and worry, but as the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, that we come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Because you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a holy nation. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you were not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says, you are a holy nation. You know, a bunch of years ago when uh, Dusa was at school, she she asked me to come and, and watch a, a dance. It was a, a cultural dance day that Forest Lake High School was putting on. And I went down to watch the cultural dance day. And I was standing there with some, with some crew and we're watching and do some dance. And they did like a, an African cultural dance. And some Pacific Island uh, crew that we knew were up doing some Pacific Island uh, cultural dances. And there was a, uh, an indigenous crew that was doing like Aboriginal dance. And, and I was watching that. And I was standing next to uh, one of the leaders, and one of the leaders asked me a question. They said, 
What is your cultural dance? You know, I was sitting there and I was thinking, I was thinking, my family came to Australia 200 years ago, or 201 years ago, was when our family came. We were Scotsmen that came to Australia, sent by the English 201 years ago. And for 200 years, which is like, I don't know, eight generations, whatever generations of people, we're Australians. And I'm not putting on a kilt. And I'm not playing a bagpipe. Listen, I praise Jesus I was removed from Scotland because I ain't a kilt-wearing sort of guy. And I'm an Aussie. And what's an Aussie dance? I don't know. I don't think Aussies have dances. You know what? I never in my life felt like, hmm, I don't actually have a culture. But at that moment, when everyone's doing their dances, I'm like, I don't have a culture. I started thinking about it. I actually thought about it for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. I don't even know. The closest thing I could think is the Pentecostal two-step. Remember this one? I found a new way of living. That's the closest I could get. I'm born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, the, the culture, the culture that I'm really knitted into isn't even an Australian culture. The culture that I'm knitted into sitting in this room right here with me right now, this is my culture. It's my people. We are a holy nation. We're knitted in by the blood of Christ and we have a whole new culture in our lives because we're knit together. I need a culture because I'm an Aussie and I don't have one. Knitted in. We're a holy nation. God's special possession Peter writes from there. Listen, if you're in this room and you don't feel like God's special possession, let me tell you, the blood of Jesus Christ is of such value to your life. You're not a special possession because of the wonderfulness of who you are. You're a special possession because the blood of Jesus Christ paid for you and it has set you apart and it has called you a, a king and a, a priest and called you a queen and a priest today. It is the fact that you've been set apart a holy nation and God's special possession. Listen, you should sit in this room realizing I am the special possession paid for by the most precious thing that exists in this world today. That not gold, not silver, not things that perish. It was the blood of Jesus Christ. It has made me special. It has made me His possession. Listen, if you feel in this, in this room, you're feeling messy and ugly and broken and lost, let me tell you, this word is for you. It was written thousands of years ago, but it was to echo into your life today. You are special. You are paid for. A special nation. This is the power of what Peter was writing here. And we praise him because you were called out of darkness into his glorious light. This is the power of Jesus Christ. You were called out of darkness. I look across this room. There was some dark mess around our worlds. We're called out into His glorious light. Why do we spend half an hour worshipping this morning? Because I was called out of darkness into His glorious, glorious light. And I'm grateful for that. I praise Him for that, verse 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. 
live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and the glory and glorify God in the day that he visits us. I urge you as foreigners and exiles, again, I want you to remember who he's writing to. He's writing to people that have just spread all over the globe because of the great persecution they're facing. They're now gone out from cultures they live in, places they lived in. Listen, many of us are like that in this room. We come together here, not out of cultures you're born into, but into a, a whole separate culture. He says, now, listen, abstain from sinful desires. Abstain from sinful desires. Uh, this, this reminds me that for 2,000 years, the same challenge that goes on today has been going on. For the church in the world they live in, there is mess, there is brokenness, there is sin. And he says this, that sinful desires that wage war against your own souls. The realisation that to give yourself to that sin is to break down and to mess up and to, and to hurt your own life and your own heart and your own souls. He says that thing is coming against you. So abstain from it. Young people in the room. Let me speak to you today. There is a culture trying to drag you into mess, drag you into sin, drag you into it, abstain from that. Peter wrote it 2,000 years ago. And listen, I stand before you today with the same encouragement. Get yourself away from the mess of the world that tries to drag us in. And he says, live such good lives. The pagans, though they may try and accuse you, they can't see any wrong in you. Though they may try and do that, they're trying to accuse you of different things. They can't see anything wrong in you. T.S. Eliot said this, The great proof of Christianity, fathers, is not how far a man can logically analyse his reasons for believing, but how far in practice he will stake his life on his belief. That if they try and accuse you, they've got nothing to accuse you of. You know, when and I attended a wedding down in, in southern New South Wales a number of years ago. And both of us walked away from that wedding. We were like heavy-hearted. Because when we attended this wedding, we literally got to the stage by the end of the wedding that I couldn't tell the difference between the Christians and the non-Christians at the wedding. The action, the way they were outworking their lives at this wedding, and the way they were speaking and acting. And when and I both walked away just like, dear God, don't ever let the church become to a place that you can't tell the difference between the Christians and the world. Listen, we're a contemporary church. Listen, we, we, we don't tell you you can't come and dress certain ways and, and do certain things. We're a contemporary church in that way. Uh, listen, I'm dressed, looking nice today. Uh, my daughters gave me my clothes for my birthday so I can look good for you all today. But how we live our lives makes a difference in the world because of how the world sees us. It made a difference 2,000 years ago, and it still does today. It still does today. George Muller said this, Our walk counts far more than our talk, always. Our walk. Here Peter says, hey, listen, don't let the world grab a hold of you. It wants to. It wants to grab a hold of you. Don't let it grab a hold of you. Because realize that your life, your outworking, makes a huge difference. Verse 13, I'm going to read through into verse 17. It says, Submit yourself. For the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent to punish them who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Uh, I feel like 
Peter wrote this just for me. Uh, I'm not a big fan of authority. I really hate being told what to do. I hate it from my parents. Uh, if you're a policeman in the room, I love you, but I don't like being told what to do. Uh, especially don't like it when they're hiding behind a tree with a speed gun trying to catch me speeding. Uh, I don't like those sorts of things. And I feel like when Peter wrote this, he was saying, hey, Tim, listen to me right now. Keep submitting to that thing because there's power in what you do there. There's power in how you outwork your life because they're there to catch the people doing wrong, commend those that are doing right. If it's God will that you would do good, he says in verse 15, that you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Uh, I, I don't know if you noticed, but a number of weeks ago, City Point West was in the news. Uh, we were on, uh, in an article by the Courier Mail. Uh, we were also uh, on Channel 7, Channel 9, uh, for an interview we did here in our services uh, a number of years ago. And we're just talking about the fact that God's called us to reach the world for Jesus Christ. And as Jesus' words are, the fields are white under harvest. We use those words and, and all of a sudden the, the church is a terrible place because they're trying to harvest the world for Jesus Christ. And, you know, that was, that was the article. Uh, and, and it was a foolish person trying to, you know, catch up the church for what God's called us to do. And I think if we look at Peter's words right here, they're, they're summed up perfectly. Listen, we're serving God. We're doing it by loving our, our community in a powerful, powerful way. But we're also doing it by, you know, obeying the, the laws and the rules of the land and doing those things really well. And it says in verse 15, for, God, uh, for it is God's will that by doing this, you would silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. You know, on the Saturday night before church, I think I've shared this before with some of you. On the Saturday night before church, I got a phone call from our federal member. And our federal minister said this to me. He said, I would be in church with you tomorrow, but I'm, I'm, I'm away in Canberra. I can't be there because I want to just support you. You guys are doing such incredible work. And this is his words. He said, that is a stupid article. Those words are, are dumb. He said, they'll go away. What, you, what you're doing at City Point West is powerful and profound, and we are grateful for what you do. Listen, that's our church outworking what Peter's asked us to do right here and how we live our lives and how we outwork our lives. And as God's will, it puts, it quietens down the foolish people that try to speak out. Listen, verse 16, he goes and changes tack just a little bit. He says, live as free people. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Listen, can I... Can I just twist what he's trying, not twist what he's trying to say, but can I twist where he's leading us here? It's a really important thing. And I'm going to wrap up in, in the next verse. He says this, he says, we're here to live under authority. That authority directs our lives. And if we struggle with authority, which some of us do, that's okay. Let that authority direct us. God is the one that will direct us and be the dictator of our lives. And God will give us favor when we need favor, which he does. And it's a powerful thing. But, but live under authority. It's, it's awesome. But now he says, listen, as you live under authority, you've got to know because of grace you're free. And, and, and church, we're going to know this. Because of grace, we are free. Yes, we live under authority. We're directed. But by grace, we are free in our lives he makes a statement. He says, but don't let that freedom be a place to cause you to go back into sin. I want to speak again to the young people in the room. There is a great danger in this generation of saying, we're saved by grace. So I'm partying all day Saturday because when I get to church Sunday morning, I'm saying, thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. 
There is a danger in that grace to say, hey, I'm going to go sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend because when I come to church on Sunday, I'm saying, thank you, Jesus, for your grace and forgiving me and it's all okay. There's a danger in the reality of what that looks like. There's a danger in it. And it's a danger in this generation and it's a danger in the, in the speaking around free grace. Grace was never free. It was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's given freely to you, but it was the blood of Jesus Christ that paid for that grace, that great grace that is there and stretched over our lives. And listen, here Peter writes and he speaks about the truth and the reality of what is outworked through this grace. He says, be careful of the freedom you found in grace that it doesn't allow you to just turn your back on the grace and go back into your own sin. Listen, grace and its freedom was there not to re-enslave you in sin. Its freedom was there to free you from sin. Listen, if you feel like it's, it's bondage to not sleep with your, your boyfriend or girlfriend, just go and look at the statistics today on marriages with sex before marriage and how that has affected the breakdown of marriage and what we see today in one and two marriages and in divorce. Have a look at the statistics that we see from the sexual revolution of the 1970s and the destruction of society. Listen, those things that are written in the Word of God aren't there to bind you up. They're there to set you free. And it's the power of grace that enables you to walk into freedom. The truths of the Word of God are there for freedom in your life. And the grace is there to allow us to walk in freedom. If you feel like that party in his freedom, oh my God, have a look at the breakdown of society that's happening through the outworking of alcohol addiction, through the outworking of drug addiction, and realize the freedom that we have through grace is not the freedom to go back to sin, the freedom to be free of sin. Sin destroys, and the devil is a liar, and he wants to lie to your life. Listen, young people, hear me today and hear what Peter wrote to us these thousands of years ago, that that grace you have, that freedom you have is there to set you free. Listen, if you're battling with those things in your life, there are leaders here that would love to pray with you, love to walk you through, love to help you to understand the power of true freedom in your life as you rid yourself of those errors of our lives that try and hold us bound. And he wraps up here in verse 17. He says, show proper respect for everyone. Love the family of believers and fear God, honor the emperor. Listen, just imagine this of our society today. Imagine a society where we show respect for everyone. Remember that R word that we used to use a lot called respect? I grew up in a society that if, if my dad had a friend, he was my uncle or he was mister. I understood respect. Still, some of dad's friends that now I'm in my late 40s, I still call Uncle Neil. I, I, I still call uncle, uncle, uncle. Because that respect was something that was built into my life. And listen, that respect is a really important part of our community. Yes, we are in Australia. Yes, society is a bit different to some of the cultures you've grown up in. But let's not dump respect and the power of it for our lives. It says we respect others, that we love the family of believers. The family of believers. Not fight like a family of believers. Just I want to throw that one out there on the side note. That we love the family of believers. There's a power in this. Can you imagine what society and community looks like when we're respecting people we're loving others and caring for them around us we have a great fear of God not fear like ah God I'm scared it's this oh God you are so incredible your power is so great and we allow those in authority to direct us can you imagine what society would look like 
When Peter wrote this, he was writing to people that are struggling through the challenges of community being messed up. And in fact, the emperor trying to kill them. He still said, can you respect and honor what that looks like in your life? What would community and society look like if we live by the word of God? The word of God is powerful truth for me and for you. It's powerful truth. And what is it all wrapped up in? The cornerstone of Jesus Christ. The center of our life, the formation of who we are, the director of our life and who we build upon. It's Jesus. Let's, let's pray as we finish here today. Holy Spirit of God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for that great cornerstone. We thank you for what Jesus does to our lives, how he directs us, how he walks with us. God, we thank you for walking through your word today and the truths in your word. I pray that some of those truths would echo and resonate in our hearts. I know this message will keep speaking to you as you continue your day. So for more information about City Point West, jump on citypointchurch.com or follow our social media accounts, Instagram, City Point West, or our Facebook, City Point Church West. Have a great day.